2 Kings chapter 5. So the first five books of Moses, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. You want 2 Kings chapter 5. Once you have it, if you're able to stand with us, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. 2 Kings 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 20, and it reads this way. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, behold, my master has spared this name in the Aramean or Syrian by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. 21. So Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well or is everything okay? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me saying, behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes, 23. Naaman said, be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to two of his servants and they carried them before him. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and deposited them in the house and he sent the men away and they departed. But he went and stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where have you been Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. And so he, Gehazi, went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Father, we celebrated a glorious gospel passage last week, the healing of Naaman, a great gospel picture. But our text started with the word, but. (laughs) And we have seen now Gehazi get wrapped up in a moment of greed that destroys his life. And Lord, there is a sobriety, a soberness to this text And there's lessons that we need to learn from it, and we need to understand what you're saying to us in this moment, in this hour, so that we don't get stumbled by the flesh or try to worship the God of mammon above the God of the Bible. Would you help us, Lord, because we know our own hearts, help us to hear what you would say to us and to respond in such a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said... Amen. You can have a seat. The title, Gehazi's Greed, the section, 2 Kings 5, 20 through 27. If you're with us last week, we saw the incredible healing of Naaman, the Syrian commander. He was a valiant man. He was a courageous man. He had won battle victories. We saw in the text the sovereignty of God as he had given victory to Naaman. And as Naaman was in his house one day, a little servant girl who saw his condition and had been taken in one of the raids where the Syrians had gone into Israel and taken this little servant girl captive said, I wish my master, that is Naaman, could be healed of this terrible disease of leprosy. Leprosy, uh, we learned last week, is a picture of sin. It's a fatal, you know, skin-eating disease, a terrible thing to 
to be uh, diagnosed with. In fact, it would be a fatal diagnosis uh, unless God intervened. And so Naaman hears, uh, first the little girl tells his wife, it gets to Naaman's ears, he goes to the king, the king releases him up to the land of Israel, or I should say down to the land of Israel, because we're in Syria, up to the north, and down he comes about 100 miles to the capital city of Samaria to be with the prophet. And he comes with a royal entourage. I'm sure there are many chariots and horses and regal-looking people and so forth. And he came to the door of the prophet and knocked. And remember, Elisha did not even come to the door. He may have sent Gehazi himself. A servant came to the door and told Naaman, you go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you will be made clean. And Naaman was thrilled with that, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. Naaman was furious, angry. He threw a little tizzy fit, right? And he said, well, I I expected that the prophet would come and greet me. We'd do the obligatory exchange of business cards, websites, whatever it might be. He would receive my gifts and act like it was a big deal to receive them, wave his hand over the part of my body that had the leprosy, call upon his God. None of that. And he went off in a huff. But his servant said to him, If the prophet had asked you some great thing to do, like climb a a big mountain or give a thousand sacrifices in the name of the God of Israel, would you have done it? And of course, common sense uh, got to him, right? Naaman realized he was being unreasonable. Sometimes we need people to talk us off the ledge, right? And he agreed to it. And down to the Jordan River they went about 30 miles from that location and seven times he dipped in the Jordan River. And he was mad. You know, there's cleaner rivers up at where we live, but he did it. And on the seventh time when he came up out of the water, you remember what happened? His body was healed and his skin became like the skin of a little child. And we kind of reveled in that moment what that might have been like as Naaman had this fatal disease and all of a sudden he was cleansed by the living God. I'm sure he invited people to touch his skin and I'm sure it it was just a moment of beauty and celebration at the goodness of God. And Naaman climbed back on his chariot. Off they went back to the prophet's house, this time with a different attitude. He came once again to the door. This time Elisha came out to him. And he wanted to give Elisha gifts again. And Elisha said, no, I don't want anything from you. A little uh, dialogue about what he would face in a pagan world. Off he went with these uh, words that we ended on last time. The prophet said to Naaman, Elisha said to Naaman, Naaman, go in peace. Go in God's peace. Go in shalom. And so he departed from him some distance. It's almost like a good movie when something wonderful happens at the very end and someone has something beautiful happen to them and they ride off into the sunset. And that's almost how you can picture this scene. Naaman is healed, celebrating. The caravan heads off into the sunset. The story ends in such a beautiful way and you have to just be thrilled and wondering you know, what Naaman's gonna do in his own hometown and go and tell people how God has been so good to him. But... In our Bibles, there's the word, but. (laughs) But Gehazi. Gehazi had a different mindset. I don't know if 
while the healing uh, was being talked about and they were all reveling in it, if Gehazi kept looking into the chariot and the wagon where the silver and gold were. All the gifts that Naaman had brought. Now Naaman had thought that maybe he could buy his healing or maybe the God of the Bible was like the other gods who needed to be appeased with you know, uh, offerings and the like. But that's not who the God of the Bible is. And so off he went, but the servant of Elisha, the man of God. Now, Gehazi was the servant to the prophet. He thought, behold, my master has spared uh, this name in the Aramean, the Syrian. He's been too easy on him, if you have an NIV, by not receiving from his hands what he brought. And then in uh, you know, oath language, he says, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and I'll take something from him. This pagan came into our land. We've been at war with Syria on several occasions. They've taken people captive. This dude owes us, me, something. <laughs> He's not thinking really so much about us. I'm going to take something for myself. And Gehazi, all of a sudden, justifying it in his mind. See, the battlefield starts right here, brothers and sisters. It's a battlefield of the mind. He thought. The book of Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so he is. We put on the mind of Christ. We put on the helmet of salvation so we can think the thoughts of the spirit, not the thoughts of the flesh. And right here at this moment, Gehazi could have caught himself. We've all had, you know, impure thoughts. We've all had thoughts before that were not in keeping with what God would have for us. And we all battle our thought life. And I want you to see in the text that he thought this. That's where it all begins. You don't have to act on your thoughts, right? Your thoughts, you know, in your head, sometimes you might have very pure thoughts. You might be feeling like you're as close to heaven as you can be. And the next moment, you can have a carnal thought. What do you do when a carnal thought invades your life? How do you battle that? You battle it by resisting it by the word of God, by inviting God to help you. Lord, that's not of you. That's, that's not what you, what you would have me to do. There's a reason why Elisha did not receive these gifts. I'm going to trust my master's discretion. And even though I've had this thought, and I think this guy should pay up because he's a pagan who came into our land and received this healing, I'm not going to act on that thought. That's where it could have ended right there for Gehazi. But he was overcome by greed. And he acted on that greed by pursuing the chariot and asking for something for himself. I want to show you just a few parallel passages. Hold your place in 2 Kings. Turn over to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, Proverbs 11.6 reads this way as you turn to Mark 7. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. That's Proverbs 11, verse 6. Mark 7, Jesus is addressing the issue of what goes into the body. People thought, you know, your diet really determined your heart and so forth and your spirituality. And Jesus debunks that. In fact, the Bible says he declares uh, all foods clean in Mark 7, 19. And then he said these words, Jesus speaking, Mark 7, verse 20. That which proceeds out of the man, not what, not, not what you eat, but what goes out of you is what defiles you. 21. 
For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting or greed and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Now, sometimes we'll see the word coveting in our Bibles, which we studied in the Ten Commandments. We are not to covet. And remember the commandment talked about you don't covet someone else's wife, someone else's goods, etc., etc. When Paul makes the list of the works of the flesh in the Bible, he'll often say, and things like these which implies that his lists are not even exhaustive. He's saying there's other things, deeds of the flesh, that can get you in trouble. What got Gehazi in trouble was greed, which is pretty much a synonym for coveting or covetousness. In fact, translators will translate uh, sometimes the same Greek word in uh, both directions in the English. What is greed? Let me give you a definition by asking some questions. One, why do you want it? Two, who does it belong to? Three, what's it going to take to get it? Questions, why do you want it? What's my motive? Two, does it belong to someone else? And three, what will it take to get it? And if you have to compromise other biblical values to get from point A to point B on what you got your eye on, you know it's not of God. Because if you have to compromise biblical values to get there, and we're going to watch that Gehazi is going to break other commandments to get what he wants to get, that's greed. Now, greed is not the pursuit of, you know, doing well, working hard at business, providing for your family, investing wisely for the future. That's not greed. Greed is defined this way. When you look it up in a, in a lexicon, it's the desire for more and more and more especially, here's the caveat, that which belongs to someone else. That's greed. It's this desire that it's never, ever enough, but what I want, I'm going to get at all costs. Greed becomes a god. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do, good master, good teacher, to inherit eternal life, Jesus said these words to him. He, he talked about the commandments, and then he said, okay, if you want eternal life, here's what you should do. Go and sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, follow me, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Now, Jesus was not laying down a principle that everyone who wants to get saved or have eternal life has to sell everything you have. What was he doing? He was confronting the God of the rich young ruler. His God was money, and he had many possessions. And when he heard what Jesus had to say, his face fell, the Bible says, and he went away sorrowfully. Jesus did not chase after him and say, oh, please, can we talk about this? You know, let's have a conversation. He let him go. And he said these famous words, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because his God was money. Money has to have its proper place. Money is not the issue. It's the love of money that's the root of all sorts of evil. 
Yesterday we had a men's breakfast. Pastor John took us to 1 John chapter 2. And it says these words. Don't love the world or the things of the world. And the word love there surprises people because it's the Greek word agape. Don't agape the world or the things in the world. For if you agape the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For all that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the prideful, uh, boastful pride of life is not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Here's what John is saying. Don't agape the world we often hear the word agape and we've studied different words for love like agape, eros, phileo. And what we've probably heard in the church is that agape is always the love that God has for us or maybe the love that we should have for God. But the Bible warns us not to elevate the things of the world with the agape that belongs only to God. He is always to be our first love. And when he is our first love, everything else will take its proper place. Amen? Well, Gehazi lost his way. He became enamored with what was in the chariot or in the wagon. And he decided, I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to take that. Jesus said these words. Flip back a few pages to Matthew 23. Uh, This is, he's addressing the Pharisees in a very stern um, sermon to them. He says, Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Matthew 23, 25, For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery. I think the ESV has that as greed and self-indulgence. Do you see that the New American Standard translated a word greed to robbery because it has the idea of taking what doesn't belong to you. That's the essence of coveting or greed. You grab something that isn't rightfully yours. And you, oftentimes people will do it at all cost. If you've ever stayed home sick from work and you turn on some of those TV uh, series, they'll play over and over again about someone who murders someone else. What's typically the storyline? It's either because someone's with another person that's not their spouse and they kill for it, or someone wants the insurance policy, or both. Once you've watched one episode, you pretty much can turn it off because it's pretty much the same dynamic every single time. I want what doesn't belong to me, and I'm going to get it at all costs. And this is what happens in the human heart. Greed, the God of greed, mammon, if you will. Jesus said you can't serve God, and mammon gets elevated to this place. And all of a sudden, you have what one preacher called the Gehazi syndrome. You want what you want, and you're going to take it at all cost. This is what happened to Gehazi. Just one more passage in the New Testament to show you. 1 Corinthians 5. This is the uh, text where Paul confronts the Corinthian congregation about a man that was sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmom, apparently. And the church wasn't dealing with him. And Paul says these words. This, these words kind of shock some people, but here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. 
I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, 1 Corinthians 5.10, or with the covetous, there's our word again, the greedy, swindlers, or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. You would have no one to associate with. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he's an immoral person or greedy or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And sometimes we're shocked by that. We're like, what? But what it means is if you know someone who's an utter hypocrite, who is a Judas, who's playing both sides of the fence, acting one way like the Pharisees, but doing completely another way. Later in 1 Corinthians, Paul will say, don't you know, bad company corrupts good morals. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 33. This is a warning about it not infecting you. If you hang around phony people, inevitably you might become a phony. 2 Kings chapter 5. And so Gehazi is enamored with the silver and gold and he begins to think about a plan. You know what? I'm going to take something. As you flip back to 2 Kings, just one more New Testament uh, verse to note. It's talking about false teachers and Peter says, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. This is 2 Peter 2, 3 and then verse 14. It says that these false teachers, they've had their hearts trained in greed they are accursed children they've gone to the school of greed i don't have to tell you that there are many people in the name of god who have said things and manipulated the masses to build a kingdom and to build it on the backs of well-meaning people who've been duped by a charismatic leader who gets them to give everything but it's always to their ministry right you're going to be blessed if you give to my ministry. Why not somebody else's ministry? Why not you give to me? If you believe in that blessing, why don't you give to my ministry and then you'll be blessed? Oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> so Gehazi thought about it. He battled, perhaps in his mind. Maybe he went back and forth a little bit. But his master said, I will take nothing. That's verse uh, 16. Gazi said, I will take something. We've been too easy on this guy, and I'm going to take it. And so Gehazi, 2 Kings 5.21, pursued Naaman. Naaman had a, probably a big entourage. They didn't move particularly fast, I'm sure, as they, were, they left. And when Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot. He's now been touched by the power of God. There's a new humility. And he met him, and he said, is everything all right? If you have the NIV. Now, right there, if you're a Gehazi, you ran after the chariot. <laughs> Gehazi, is that you? Yes, 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 it's me. Everything all right? <sighs> Opportunity number two. He was about to do something really dumb, but maybe he could have caught himself right here and said, Yeah, everything's good. I, I just making sure that you guys. I'm seeing you off safely. It was really great to meet you. Have a great day. Uh, God bless you. Uh, Elisha says, God bless you. And if he had turned around right there, he might have done something like this. Whew. I was about to do something really dumb, but I didn't act on it. I just thought it, but I didn't act on it. 
Nobody else knew how dumb I was except me and God. Now here's good news. We all have dumb thoughts from time to time. If you don't act on the dumb thought, the only people who know are you and God. Praise the Lord. Now God knew what he was getting when he signed you up in the first place, so you all know that. But if, you, if he had turned around at that point, maybe he got up to the chair and thought, yeah, I was justifying this in my mind. This is a bad idea. Uh, everything okay? Yeah. God bless you. I just have a good day. He would have caught himself. But he kept going. Everything all right? Everything wasn't all right. A way of escape had emerged, and God is faithful. He will always provide a way of escape. Gazi didn't take it. He said, all is well, verse 22. My master has sent me, oops, that's a lie, saying, behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets, I told you there were schools of the prophets, probably kind of like Bible colleges back in the day, training for the prophetic ministry, Poor, starving college students came to me, Naaman. You know how those college students are, man. They Student loans, and they're always trying to get by, you know. They came from the schools of the prophets, probably Bethel and Gilgal, right there from the hill country of Ephraim. Uh, please give, give them, me, <laughs> a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Oh, a, a need just came up. You know how these college students are? Right when you left, they came, and uh, my master is saying that, let's give them something, you know. You, you came with all this stuff anyway to lighten your chariot, and uh, they have a need. And I know you wanted to give anyway, and so, um, yeah, could you do that? And he began to craft what we might call a whopper. That would be a carefully crafted lie or a hamburger from Burger King. Yeah, my master sent me poor, starving college students just trying to get along, you know. How about, how about you give me 10% of the silver that you, you brought, you know? He asked for a little bit. That seems like a reasonable request. Good lie. And Naaman said, be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes, two college students, why not? Gave them to two of his servants and they carried them before him. Gee, golly, Gehazi, take two for these poor, starving college students, poor souls that they are. Take two. Ha, 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 Gehazi said, well, if you insist. I mean, you know, they are not doing great anyway. Okay, we'll take two. And then wrapped them up and a pretty good amount of weight. Two servants went before Gehazi and Gehazi headed back towards his house. He's probably done Yeah! <laughs> good for Gehazi. Things are going well. Yeah! Hey, I even got guys carrying the stuff for me. This is awesome. This is working out better than I thought it would go. He gave two probably started thinking about the Gehazi Golf Fund, you know. Um, what, what, what could I do with this? This is great. And he came to the hill, and when, when he came to the hill, he took from their hand the two servants of Naaman. He took the stuff, he took the loot, deposited them in the house, and sent them away. You know, he didn't want anybody to see, so they departed. He shushed them off, you know. 
Uh, okay, boys, thanks a lot for carrying the weight for me. You know, we're, we're close to my house now. I'll take that from you. <laughs> Make sure nobody sees what's going on. Good, good. Bon voyage. Have a good day. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you. Uh, get out of here. <laughs> I got I to gotta cover up what I'm doing here. And so he looked around. He had the loot, went down to the house, and was ready to carefully store it away. You know, if you have to look here and there, make sure nobody's around when you're doing something, you probably are not doing the right thing. Some years ago, I went into a restaurant in the city of Orange. Uh, I was one of the pastors at a church in Orange, and their two ladies were sitting at this table, and they looked vaguely familiar, but I didn't know where I knew them from. And they were looking up at me, and they kind of had some sheepish looks, and I said, hi, ladies, nice to see you. And they went, okay, we didn't go to church today. <laughs> And I was like, oh, you guys go to the church? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we didn't go. <laughs> I didn't even know where I knew them from. But apparently they were convicted. And so in the middle of the restaurant, I said, rip it and return to your first love. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't have to. They were already totally convicted. For the word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from God's sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. You see, God... He sees our lives. They're all right before him. And Gehazi had to know better. He was living in the light of God. He had watched Elisha do miracles. He knew the insights that Elisha had. Elisha had received a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He had seen the work of God. It's reminiscent of a man named Judas. Judas was with the Lord three to three and a half years. Jesus said of Judas that he was a devil from the beginning. He never knew the Lord. He's probably the man, at least the picture being spoken of in Matthew 7, depart from me, I never knew you. That's Judas. Judas was around miracles. Perhaps he became a, ve a, a vehicle for some of the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know for sure, but they went out in twos and, and Judas was one of them. Perhaps he's the one who would say on that day, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I don't know you more than that. I never knew you, Judas. Gehazi is an Old Testament type of Judas. Around the things of God, Elisha becomes a picture or a type of Christ. The anointing of God, the miracles of God. Gehazi right there, right next to the miracles, seeing the power, tasting the things of the kingdom, if you will, but being so far away. So near and yet so far. And we can't but think for a moment of the modern church. Because it's possible to listen to sermons, to be around the things of God, and not be converted in one's heart. Amen? Certainly possible. On that day, it will become clear about the wheat and the chaff and so forth. And so he comes to the hill, the house is there, stows the stuff away, 
returns to his spot. He went in and stood before his master, that's Elisha. And Elisha said to Gehazi, 25, where have you been, Gehazi? Now, have you ever had a question fall like a thud on your heart? (laughs) I'm sure Gehazi took a big gulp. (laughs) And this was another opportunity to take the way of escape. Because though he had done wrong, upon being confronted, do you think deep in Gehazi's soul, he already knows that Elisha knows? And at this point, it might have been good to say something like this. Okay, I'm coming clean right now. Elisha, I, I thought that guy owed us something. I pursued the chariot. I took the stuff. I'm sorry it's in the house. Maybe we can go back and return it to him. I, I repent. I, I was wrong, but he didn't. He came up with a very clever excuse. He said, your servant went nowhere. <laughs> oh, Gehazi. You sound like a little kid caught in a lie. Did you eat the cookie? No. (laughs) What do you mean no? There's cookie coming out of the side of your mouth. Where did you go? Nowhere. (laughs) No, you went to the cookie jar. There's a trail of cookies. Right? Nowhere. You've been somewhere, Gehazi. (laughs) Can't you come up with something better than that? All right, I I went over to the hill to make sure that Naaman went off and... In good shape, none of that. Nowhere. (laughs) Where'd you go? Nowhere. And all God's people said, (laughs) ruh-roh. Your servant went nowhere. And he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and Sheep and oxen and male and female servants. Key phrase, is it time? Alistair Begg tells a story. He was preaching on 2 Kings chapter 5. And he said there was a lady that called the office and said she had questions about Christianity. And she had attended a church service. And so she wanted to come and see him. And he happily met with her. She came into the office. She said, I have questions about the gospel of grace. I grew up in a system where it was very works-based, and I don't quite understand how this all works. And he communicated the free gift of salvation and the finished work of Christ. She opened her heart gloriously to the gospel, prayed to receive Jesus, got saved, and then went into her purse after praying the prayer and began to want to write out a check to the church. And Alistair said, please don't do that. Oh, I want to give something to the church. I'm so grateful. And Alistair said, no. This is not the time. He said, there's nothing wrong with people giving. Obviously, God loves a cheerful giver. And we should be open to giving to the kingdom of God and the work of God. But that was the wrong time. Because Alistair said these words. He said, I did not want to give her the impression that she had to pay for salvation. And I wanted her to go off in the free grace of God. And if she decided to give later to the kingdom of God or the work of this fellowship, so be it. But it was the wrong time. There's a right time for everything and there's a wrong time for certain things. And Elisha says to Gehazi, is it time? Now, I want you to notice something in the verse that's interesting. All Gehazi got was some silver and some clothes. Why? 
does Elisha add olive groves, vineyards, sheep, oxen, and servants? End of verse 26. Because that's everything that Naaman had. You see, Gehazi's greed was not limited to what was in the chariot or the wagon. He wanted everything that Naaman had. Position, power, material wealth, servants, everything. He was coveting everything about this man. And Elisha saw through it. And what's implicit in the verse is something like this. This won't be enough for you because what you coveted was everything. Not just a little bit. You basically put yourself in his spot. Greed had consumed Gehazi. And so you can imagine him standing there, having his soul revealed, and then these sobering words. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cleave to you and to your descendants forever. I take that as perhaps one uh, person in the family will always have leprosy. I don't know how else to see that. It's a difficult verse. And so he, Gehazi, went out from Elisha's presence, a leper as white as snow. Can you see the contrast of the two pictures? Naaman, this Syrian commander, comes up out of the Jordan River, having been healed of his leprosy, a picture of the resurrection and the rapture when God makes all things new, a picture of the power of the gospel to transform, and he becomes a believer. And Gehazi, standing before Elisha, now turns from a normal person to a leper. Can you see the scene? Perhaps leprosy begins to break out on his arms and his chest. And he looks at himself and says, Oh, no. What was in his heart, he had a leprous heart, now was manifest in his body. And he had now taken on the fatal disease of leprosy which is a picture of sin. A very harsh judgment on a man that went astray. And you can see he had, he had some opportunities to repent. You see, there's, there's a greater judgment when you're closer to the action, as it were. He knew better. He's a type of Judas. Let me read just a little bit from a couple commentaries so that we might grab a hold of this. Why such a severe punishment? The gospel picture being painted was distorted by Gehazi. What's probably the most deplorable in this episode is that Gehazi distorted the gospel. God's grace was coming free of charge to Naaman, yet Gehazi tried to put the price, put a price on salvation. Davis, one commentator, says Gehazi's greed implied that Yahweh was a taker like all other deities that littered the Near East. This explains why Gehazi's punishment is so severe, why God deals so harshly with him. Grace is free. We must not distort it, lest we find ourselves under the curse of God, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. This is an account in which we should rejoice over the healing of Naaman, but take the lessons from the greed of Gehazi. A couple in the New Testament came before Peter and said, we sold the 
a piece of land and were laying all of it at your feet. And the truth was that they had held back some of it. They were putting on a show, Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. And Peter famously said, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to men. You haven't lied to me. You've lied to God. You misrepresented yourself. And if you know the story, it's a sobering one. Ananias and Sapphira both dropped down dead. And fear comes over the early church. That's the New Testament, brethren. Just in case we wanted to relegate this just to a Old Testament. Yeah, that's a, that Old Testament. That's why I don't read it. Old Testament. <laughs> uh-uh. Happened in the book of Acts as well. And then this warning from Merida, one commentator. He says, celebrate the gospel, preach the gospel, believe the gospel, but don't use the gospel for your own selfish gain. Don't communicate false ideas about the living God. God really is gracious and sovereign, and he really delights in saving people. May everything we do and say, commend the Redeemer to the nations. And here's where I get a little concerned. I watch some things done in the name of Christ that have an attachment of money, something like this. You'll get that blessing only if you sow into my ministry. That thing is right around the corner for you if and when you give this amount to my ministry. Now, I don't know why it doesn't get reversed. If they really believe in this principle so much, they should be giving all their stuff away so they can get more back. But you see, if we distort the gospel and attach some financial remuneration, you must do this and then this. And this, I have to tell you, manifests itself in the word faith movement. And what it does is it gives people a wrong impression about God. God freely gives in the gospel. Amen? The price has been paid in full. If you decide to give to the kingdom work, you do that between you and the Lord, but you don't do it out of obligation and you don't do it because you've been manipulated into doing it. God does not want you to give because someone manipulated you or obligated you into giving thinking that you're going to get something in return. That is not the gospel. That's a distortion of the gospel. And that needs to be repented of, frankly. The gospel is free. And what we give to the Lord, we give out of a grateful heart. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, Romans eleven six. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Bow your heart with me. Father, thank you for this text. It is a challenging one, no doubt. But it is an important one for us because we want to make sure that our hearts are free from greed. And we know that we battle many things, Father, in this life. Many enticements come our way. Many challenges to our thought life and our actions. We can see Gehazi had some opportunities to take the way of escape, and he didn't do it. And the end is a sad scene of a man departing the presence of Elisha with leprosy. Never 
to serve Elisha again and sadly destined for destruction. And oh, Lord, when we think about that scene, we think about how beautiful it is that the living God came down in the person of Jesus Christ, touched lepers, healed people who were considered unclean in that time, was the friend of tax gatherers and sinners, reached out to those who were broken and yet realized their brokenness and said, oh, Lord, have mercy. With your head and heart bowed, if you've not met Jesus, maybe you didn't understand the gospel, maybe you didn't realize that he paid the price in full, there's nothing you can add to his perfection. This would be a moment where you can repent of your sin and it's something like this. Jesus, I believe that you are the true and living God, second person of the Holy Trinity. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to pay that ransom price, to take your wrath at that cross. I repent of all the gods I've put above you and beside you, trying to serve them and you. I declare right now, and I ask that you would be my Lord, my King, my Savior, my God. I repent of my sin. I'm going to turn away from it, ask you to forgive me, and ask you to Cause me to be born again by your Holy Spirit. Save me, O Lord. Heal me like you did Naaman of the disease of sin. Let me have a new heart, a new start. Maybe you have a scene in your mind where you, something stumbled you. You got away from the living God and maybe you're reaping a little bit of that. You're a believer, but you've backslidden. This would be a great time just to come home. Confess your sin to the Lord. The elements of communion are about to come around and this is a great time to do some business and just say, Lord, I want to keep short accounts with you before I take of the bread and drink of the cup. And then, Father, for this precious congregation who desire truth in the inward parts, I pray that as they partake of the Lord's Supper, you would minister to their souls as they reflect on the cross, the resurrection of Jesus and the good news of the gospel and look forward to when you will come again. Pray all of this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. The elements are coming around. We invite you to uh, partake. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're invited to the table. If you are not a Christian, become one <laughs> right now. Just turn and trust him and you can partake of these elements of communion. As they come around, would you hold them? We're going to take them together. Shane's going to sing just a little bit as we reflect on this time of communion.
night before Jesus actually died, he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. And he took the bread. And you know, when you look at a piece of matzah, you can see that it's marked and pierced. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this, this is my body. I'm about to die for you. Be pierced for your transgressions bruised for your iniquities. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. God is a covenant-keeping God. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. 